Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I continue to be your mostly quiet producer. Today, after a light roasting of yours truly, we return to Ostentatious as Beth and Cassie continue to talk about pride and prejudice. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can find our website with a link to our merch store at shakespearepod.com. And now, on with the show. We finished recording the last episode, and I went in to check on my husband. And uh, I said, yeah, we're just uh, taking a break. And he sits up and he looks at me and he goes... You're not done yet. <laughs> that was one episode. And I went, yeah. What's the problem? And he just got this like wide-eyed stared. He's like, you were recording for two hours. I said, yeah. And it's just all about Pride and Prejudice. You're welcome. So he's going to have some like disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, like apologizing for how long these are. How um, dare he apologize to No him? apologies. No apologies. You are welcome. We're delightful. They chose to not be here. And so, yeah, so we he was all like, show. he was all like, oh, I should have toughed it out and been in there so I could hurry you along. And I said, it wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked. No. We will not be peer pressured into speeding past any element of this novel and discussing it in the depth that it deserves. So. No. You are in for another long, wonderful podcast episode from us as Enjoy we pick it. apart it's amazing. Pride and Prejudice on this, the ostentatious podcast. We've taken over Shakespeare. We have. Mm-hmm. And who are we? I'm Beth Roars. And I'm Cassie Greenlee. And Chase Greenlee's not here, so he can suck it. <laughs> Yeah, suck it, Greenlee. We're married and we love each other. Yeah, that's why you get to say things like that. Exactly. Just like Elizabeth and Darcy eventually at the end of this book. Oh, where do we even start? Where do we even start? Should we jump in with a big question right at the beginning? Or should we ease into the waters? Let's let's ease into the waters. Let me pull up the questions that I wrote down. I got a really cool Christmas present. I got a rocket book. Oh, I did too. Did you? I think it's cool. I did. I haven't and had a chance to use it a lot yet because so, I don't go anywhere. So I have mainly used mine for taking notes for this, for the podcast. And for work and things like that. But, oh, where did it go? Okay, I clearly don't know how to use it. Doesn't really matter. So, let's start with one of mine, which was, let's rank the daughters. Okay, what are the criteria? Um, who do you want to have lunch with? Um, probably Lizzie. Probably Lizzie. Yeah. All right. Is she also your best friend? 
Or is she just the entertaining one? I mean, she is the entertaining one. I want like a, an amalgamation of her and Jane to be my best friend. Because Lizzie's a little judgmental sometimes. And I feel like she doesn't always take things as seriously as she should. But I also feel like Jane's niceness would get cloying for me because I feel like I am not an inherently like super nice person. Um, <laughs> You're wrong. So, You're lovely. I, I, I am lovely. But like I get irritated with people easily. And I usually mask it well, but like I would want somebody who would be willing to snark with me about people, and I don't know that Jane would. You don't think she'd, she'd always with you? she'd always be trying to make me see the good in people, and she does that to Lizzie a lot. She does, but Lizzie would snark at people with me. That's true. Maybe a lot, a lot. Yeah. All right. Who do you want to be? Okay, it's a group project. Okay. Who do I want on my group? Who do you for want the group, group project? Group? I want yeah. Mary. Okay. You want Mary on your project? I do. What situation do you think you'd want to hang out with Lydia and Kitty? Lydia, I wouldn't. Like at all. Like ever. Like ever. Uh, but Kitty, I think I could want to hang out with her if she wasn't with Lydia. I'd so want to think, get to know Kitty better. So, like, yeah, I, I want to know who know she is Kitty as a person. There's a bit in the end, in like this little prologue, this little epilogue chapter at the end, where we're told that Kitty spends a lot of time with the Bingleys and with the Darcys after her older sisters are married and does not spend a lot of time with Mr. and Mrs. Wickham, and she improves greatly. <laughs> being out of the the thumb of her younger sister. Yeah, and it's clear that despite the fact that Lydia is the youngest sister, she just leads Kitty around. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite, um, we'll talk about this when we get to adaptations, but uh, there's a modernization of this story called The Lizzie Bennet Diaries that I adore. And uh, one of the things they do is they take the family from five sisters down to three sisters. So the only sisters in the family are Jane, Lizzie, and Lydia, which is absolute perfect sense. Mary and Kitty are still characters in the story, though. Mary becomes a cousin who uh, Lydia visits occasionally. And Kitty uh, becomes a stray cat that follows Lydia home. <laughs> and so it's kind of it's kind of perfect. Now, the gentleman. Okay. Who are you having lunch with of the gentleman? At what point in the novel? Um, I don't know. We'll just go at the end. What's the end? You read the at whole the thing. At the end? You read the whole, whole thing. thing? Um, probably Darcy. Probably Darcy? Yeah, if it's Not the beginning of the novel, it's Bingley. See, I think even at the end of the novel, I think Bingley would be way more fun. I think Bingley's more my speed. Like, I love yeah. Mr. Darcy, and he is the romantic quintessential, like... I guess it would depend on if Lizzie was there, too. 
Because if not, he could just be boring. Like, you don't know what you're going to get with him. Legitimately, though, actually, Colonel Fitzwilliam is my answer. He's like the best of both worlds. Yeah. I like Colonel Fitzwilliam. All right. Now, if you are Lizzie. Okay. All things are equal. If Colonel Fitzwilliam had asked you to marry him at the, while you were in Huntsford, do you think she would have said yes? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do too. I think she would have taken that. It could have gone another way for sure. Here's my question for you. Okay. Which couple in this story would you most want to be your parents? Mm. That's interesting. I feel like it would end up being the Bingleys. I want the Gardeners. You want the Gardeners? Yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Gardner. But they would just leave you with the Bennets <laughs> and go on vacation. Only when I was young. When I was old enough to hold my own, they might take me to Pemberley, see the so, park. Part of me wants... So, in one of the many continuations of Pride and Prejudice that I've read. Uh, Elizabeth and Darcy have children. And it's about the children because Elizabeth and Darcy are spies working for Wellington. How And I would have liked that. That could have been fun. I feel like in my extreme youth, like high school... I read a series where Darcy and Lizzie have five daughters. Like, I know that that series exists, but I remember nothing about it. I also want you to know that even though I can't actually hear this conversation because it's not literally happening, I can feel my husband immediately behind me going, get on with it. What does he want us to get on? Okay. (laughs) So let's go through our pins. Let's go through our pins. Let's go through our pins. Um, okay, so the big one, the big question where I was like, should we dive into this, is who is pride and who is prejudice? So Because these terms, in my mind, refer to, one refers to Lizzie and one refers to Darcy. I think everybody is both pride and prejudice in this, but if I have to pick one. Lizzie is prejudice and Mm -hmm. Darcy is pride. I agree. And I think it's really important to recognize Lizzie as prejudice because I feel like too often we get caught up in the wonderfully strong feminist character that Lizzie is, but we don't take time to recognize the flaws that she has as a person because she, she does have like a lot of flaws. She is judgmental she is prejudiced she makes snaps snap judgments of people and then holds them responsible for those even when she has evidence that they've changed she and she she talks about at one point that one of the things that she likes to do and this is when she is staying at netherfield is she likes to make character studies of people she likes Mm -hmm. to judge them she she blatantly says it But she is still her mother's daughter. And we see Mrs. Bennet fly off the handle in wild imaginings quickly. 
they are like she instantly goes to Mr. Bennett is going to fight Wickham and die. Like he couldn't mm-hmm. win. He's going to fight Wickham and die. Yeah. Elizabeth does the same thing. Just to a lesser extent and inside yeah. her own head. And we get to see a little bit of it that she makes these snap decisions. She knows who Mr. Darcy is. She knows who he is before she even gets to know him. And so he is yeah. working against this preconceived notion that she has from slight interactions. Just yeah, like and she overheard... They've known him for like three weeks before she decides that... It, this whole The whole story happens in a year. Yeah. One 12-month span of time. And in that time frame, she goes from like by the six month mark in April, he's the mm-hmm. last man on earth she could be prevailed upon to marry based upon the prejudice. It takes another six months for her to really break those prejudices down. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think, I think that there is some merit to Darcy's comment at the end of his first proposal of, a lot of this is stemming from the fact that I wounded your pride. And she she says that too after the initial meeting where she overhears him and he slights her. And she's like, oh, I think I could have thrown it off if you if hadn't wounded, injured my pride. And she says it as a joke, but I think that, that some of it is legitimate. Yeah. Like he said that I was tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt him. Okay, well, now I'm going to hate you forever, because that right. and, is and a reasonable so, escalation. So, yeah, it stems from her pride. Um, his pride, the reason for me that he is pride, is that it it is that pride and his desire to never be seen foolish or wrong that leads him to being so standoffish. Yeah. That it's that that pride that makes him kind of socially awkward he doesn't put himself out there the way that bingley does because he doesn't want to seem foolish ever again i understand that on a personal level (laughs) and i i think it's important that the original title of this novel so the first title before it became pride and prejudice was first impressions and i think that that's a really that is also a really strong title because that's kind of at the crux of everything is this idea that your first impression of somebody is not necessarily accurate. So Lizzie's first impression of like nobody is accurate except for Caroline Bingley. Oh yeah. Like she doesn't like Bingley. Yeah. She picks Wickham wrong. She picks Darcy wrong. She doesn't like Bingley when she first meets him. She makes a stat judgment about whether or not Charlotte will be happy. Yes. Uh, She's very judgmental towards Charlotte. And on the one hand, I get it. Mr. Collins is awful. Why would anybody go after that? But on the other hand, like, she herself is only a few years away from being in Charlotte's position. And I don't think she has kind of acknowledged that to herself. That's Yeah, and it's the difference as well. So each year that goes by, that these women are left unmarried is one year harder to get married, right? Yeah. And I think Bridgerton 
is out there in everybody's view right now. So it's really easy to explain it through that, even though it is a slightly later period of time. But yes. only slightly. Only slightly. Only slightly. So each season of dances and balls and things like that is one more that you can rack up. And Charlotte's up to 27. Lizzie yeah. is only 21, 22. 20. 20. 20. The seven years of not being proposed to when everybody around you is getting proposed to. Yeah. Like, I really understand Charlotte. And I feel like Charlotte and Anne Elliot mm-hmm. from uh, Persuasion have a lot in common. Yeah. I was really struck this time through reading Charlotte about her philosophies on marriage. And when she says, like, I'm not romantic, you kind of get the sense she's never dreamed of marriage the same way that other people have. And I'd be really interested to see an interpretation of this story with that character presented very much like a romantic. So someone who has no interest in finding any sort of romantic partner. She's just in it for the benefit to her. This is what society expects of me. If I don't fall in line with it, the consequences will be not good. And so I might as well find somebody who will set me up comfortably and make sure I'm taken care of. And that'll be enough for me. I'm not going to feel the lack of that later on. I judge, and maybe it's because I am partial to Charlotte, but I judge a lot of adaptations on how they decide to portray Charlotte. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, I'm sitting here, (laughs) like, they they portray her as this, like, only child. um, She's not. The book says she has many siblings. Lots of them. Or like that she like she's got no brothers, so she's got to do everything. Or she's just got Mariah. It's just the two of them, and that's not the case. There are several siblings. It's a big family. There's not a ton of money to go around. She's not really going to have a dowry of any kind. Um, and yeah, he's a he's a lord. Like he's sir. Mm-hmm. Lucas, he's been knighted, uh, but they don't. He doesn't like going to the city. They haven't presented in society. It's just her options are so limited. Yeah, and being married is going to give her a freedom that being a spinster wouldn't. And when right. when Lizzie goes to visit her at Hunsford, we see that she's she's worked to this situation really to her best advantage. Because she, she talks to Lizzie. She's like, yeah, well, he uh, he gets up and we have breakfast. And then I encourage him to go work in the garden. Or I encourage him to go visit his parishioners. I encourage him to do all these things that keep him out of the house. I stay in the house. I stay in this half of the house. And so lots of times it happens that we go most of the day without seeing each other. And that's and fine he, with her. He is ridiculous to Lizzie in Lizzie's estimation he is a ridiculous man and I think he's a terrible like he's just but to her he shows great deference yeah he's always asking for her opinion they are of one mind 
So Charlotte's found a man who lets her have her way, is giving, and yeah, he talks a lot, but I mean, most of the time he's out in his garden. Yeah. So she can avoid him. And she's worked it out. So the fact that Lizzie judges how happy they will be, and I think Charlotte's right. I think she has as much chance as any of them of being happy in their relationship. I think she's going to get out of it exactly what she wants. Yes, I agree. So I I love me some Charlotte Lucas. I think she's a good character. She is. And it's nice. It's refreshing to see a character that's just human. Mm hmm. Just human. Especially, there are a lot of characters in this book that are really one dimensional. Yes. Mary's one dimensional, two dimensional, sorry. Mary, she's flat. Kitty is flat. Lydia is flat. Yeah. Even Jane to some extent. Yeah. Like, I I like Jane and Bingley because you're supposed to. But I feel like if I knew them in real life, they'd be almost too perfectly nice. Like, I don't know that I'd want to spend a lot of time with them. It's not interesting if you're perfect. Yeah. Um, but I do love but, the, the internet meme of... Uh, Jane Austen going, and this character will be perfect and sweet and beautiful and everyone will love her and I will call her Jane. <laughs> Name and a character after yourself. I want to pick a bone with Jane Austen for a moment because Jane Austen had an older sister whose name was Cassandra and she did not name a single character in any of her novels Cassandra. And as a Cassandra, that hurts me. I can understand. I mean, I'm an Elizabeth, so... I want a Jane Austen I can only understand so much. Yeah, exactly. Cassandra. But you could have ended up being, like, Cassandra Wickham. Yeah, I could have been a bad character, but, like, you know... For as many times as she reuses names in her stories... What's Anne Elliot's sister's name? Um, Mary, Mary and Elizabeth. I will say this when she reuses names, like there tends to be like one good version and one bad version of the name. So you have George Wickham, but you also have George Knightley and you have Henry Tilney, but you also have Henry Crawford. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's like, it's the good Henry and the bad Henry. She got another Edmund? Uh, no, I think Edmund is unique. Edmund's unique. There's an Edward? Yeah. Edward Ferrers. Ferrers from Sense of Sensibility. I thought he was an Edmund. No, he's Edward. Edmund Bertram. Bertram. Oh, well. Regardless. 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 So. Uh, we like Charlotte Lucas. Um, let's talk about a big one, which is Agency of Women. Okay. Yes and no. 
I think so, a realistic amount within the, the confines, confines of, society. of the society she was writing about. Yeah. And I think it's that way with most most of her novels. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think Emma's got the most agency of any of the women in any of her novels. Oh, absolutely. she can just do whatever she wants. Um, but Elizabeth... Elizabeth knows her own mind and does her own mind. Yes. And although a lot of the plot centers around men and finding love, not everything. Not everything is about does. Men and finding love. And the fact that Lizzie refuses not one but two proposals, you know, I think shows that she she does have that power of control over her own life. Also, side note, can you imagine how much Mrs. Bennett's brain would have exploded if she found out that Mr. Darcy proposed to Lizzie at Hunsford and Lizzie turned him down? I think she would have been very silent for about 20 minutes and then she would have exploded. I don't know which way she would have exploded. She would have been so torn between like, he has 10,000 a year and he asked you to marry him and you said no. And also, she hates Darcy. I think she can overlook hating anybody. Because she hates Mr. Collins when he shows up. Yes. Until. Until he's going to marry one of her daughters. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure she can overlook. And she is all cordiality to Mr. Darcy after he proposes. After he proposes, yeah. Just think of the pin money you'll have. Yeah, there's this whole sequence where Lizzie's like, hey, Darcy, um, I'm going to tell my mother in private without you there because I don't want you to see that reaction. I feel like it would be very damaging towards our new relationship <laughs> if you saw that firsthand. So I'm just going to take care of that. I'm just all... Pemberley's far away, right? <laughs> That's another, like, conversation that I love when they're chatting at one point um, at Hunsford and he's making idle conversation. It's one of the times when he, like, drops in to visit her and she's alone and he doesn't propose and they just have, like, an awkward conversation for 10 minutes and then he leaves. And uh, he mentions something about Charlotte being settled so near her family. And Lizzie's like, um, near. 50 it's, miles is close. It's 50 miles. He's like, yeah, it's good road. And then they're talking about how it's possible to be settled too near your family. And he says, I I think that you would not always want to be near Longbourn. And she kind of has a moment of, ah, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I would not. I don't. I don't want that. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want that either. Mm -mm. either. Mary to get out of the house and away from Mrs. Bennett. But in terms of agency of women... I, f- I really feel like she's written in as much as she could realistically write into this novel. And I feel like I, of course, don't have a time machine and I've never lived then, but I've read a lot of books. And I feel like Jane Austen tends to give the women in her novels a lot of agency, probably more than they would have normally had. Yeah. Um, and I think Fanny Price in Mansfield Park is a good litmus for that because she doesn't yeah, she have doesn't. a lot of agency. Mm-mm. And so being able to see where they do and where they don't. 
But I mean, if you think about it, you've got Catherine de Bourgh in this novel, who is Ooh, fierce. rich, widow, very controlling of her life and the lives of everybody around her, except for getting Lizzie to swear she will never marry Mr. Darcy. Um, But she has a lot of control over her life. The girls are able to turn down proposals. Mrs. Bennet runs that house. Yeah. She gets what she wants, even when Mr. Bennet says no and is stodgy. The only thing he sticks to his guns about is Brighton. That's probably because he just doesn't want to leave the house. Yeah. So she gets what she wants. For the most part, the characters, the female characters, rule the world in this. And it's why it is held up as a feminist work. Yes. And yes, as you were saying, so much of the plot is about marriage and about men. But the unfortunate reality of this period of time is that their lives were about marriage and about men because that was the only way to get security. Yep. And so yeah, within within that lens... Uh, like the real, the entailment is really the biggest like anti-feminist thing. And even that is just brought up over and over and over again of just how wrong it is. Yeah. How unfair it is. What else we got? What else? Well, I don't want to jump into adaptations yet because that's going to be a long conversation. I feel like we should save it for the end. So... Tell me, Beth, your favorite thing about this novel. I know, uh, I know, I know. It's a rude question, uh, but I'm asking it anyway. Thing. Um, I love a good redemption arc in any story. And I love a good rake. And I feel like we get a really good redemption story for Lizzie. And I feel like Wickham could have been a really good rake. What keeps him from being a good rake? Uh, he ends up being weak in the end. He like caves away to Darcy's... Uh... No, 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 not that. Not that. Not actually marrying Lydia. That's not the weakness. The weakness was that he needed to run away. And he took her with him because he couldn't be alone and unentertained. Yeah. So he had all of the setup to be just this wonderful rake. Running around, flirting with people. Being obnoxious. And he ended up being weak. So... I don't know. It's probably the redemption arc. Lizzie Bennet, she gets a good redemption arc. Mr. Darcy gets a good redemption arc. I, yeah, I think my favorite part of the story is the growth, the parallel growth stories that we see for both Lizzie and Mr. Darcy. Because one of the things I love about Darcy's storyline in particular is he legitimately changes who he is as a person and how he interacts with people based on the censure that Lizzie gives him. And specifically when she tells him, you have not acted like a gentleman, which is like the one thing he prides himself on 
like I am a gentleman and I am I behave properly in every situation. And she says that to him and she tells him that there was absolutely no way he could have proposed to her that she would have accepted. And instead of doing what is so typical of males and being like, well, she must just be crazy and doesn't deserve me. So peace out. He steps back and he goes, okay, if that's true, what kind of person do I want to be? And what do I need to change about myself to be that person? And then he makes those changes. That and the dialogue. And the the dialogue. dialogue. Oh, it's so good. There's a reason you can quote it. It's satisfying. Word for word without looking at the book. Yes, there is. Well, I mean, that obsessive reading. (laughs) Yes. Obsessive watchings of the 1995 version that lifts most of its dialogue word for word. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good. Okay. We're getting but, close to adaptations. We are. But no, I, I really like Darcy's character. And the older that I get and the more of an adult that I become, uh, the more I identify with him. Because I, too, don't like being in loud, big, crowded rooms of strangers. Um, I don't make small talk well. I am socially awkward. And I am very much an introvert. If your Mr. Darcy is Chase... Lizzie Bennett? Yes. He is. He does say witty things sometimes. He does say witty things quite frequently. (laughs) Well, I think we found him out. He should have read the book. He should have. That's what I'm saying. Chris is finally reading the book? Hmm? Chris is finally reading the book? Yeah, he is. But yeah, I, I really like Darcy as a character. Um, I I like that he changes not for Lizzie because at the point where he makes the alteration in his behavior, he has no expectation of winning her back. That's not his goal, but he changes because of what she said to him, because he recognizes the truth in her words, even if it's not all accurate. Well, and he wants to be a better man, a better version of himself. Yeah. But it's that, it's that changing without the expectation of, I did this for you. See how I've changed. See how much better I am. Because he doesn't expect to ever see her again after that conversation. And the fact that he does randomly run into her at his house unexpectedly. <laughs> it's He's just like, well, might as well make the best like, of the situation. I cannot think, and there have been, like, I am a beautifully awkward person, and I do dumbass shit. Like, I'm probably Bingley. But I don't know if I've ever done anything as truly awkward as being at Pemberley when Darcy comes home. It's just, oh, well, and I also. Terrible. So I love when, when Lizzie meets Georgiana for the first time, Georgiana's like, oh my gosh, my brother has told me so much about you. And Lizzie's like, he has? And I want to know what those conversations were. <laughs> my brother says you play wonderfully. Your brother lied to you. 
I, I, I don't. My brother never lies. Hmm. Lil Miss, let's. <laughs> no. Oh. oh, Georgiana. Oh, and there's also like. I want to talk very briefly about Caroline because she's such an interesting character. <gasps> she is, and. Later when we're talking about adaptations, I'm going to ask, like, which adaptation is your favorite of this character and that character? Oh, yeah, for sure. But there's this, there was a really great line about Caroline from when they're at Pemberley. um, And she's trying to get a rise out of Darcy by disparaging Elizabeth. And saying, oh my gosh, she looks so awful since we last saw her. She's gotten all coarse and brown. And uh, she's like going on and on and on about how (laughs) her face is in a good shape. And her teeth are okay, but they're nothing impressive. And like she's trying to get Darcy to uh, join in the banter with her like he did way back in the beginning of the novel. And she mentions... um, that at one point they had this conversation and I I particularly recollect your saying one night after they'd been dining at Netherfield, she a beauty, I should as soon call her mother a wit. But afterwards she seemed to improve on you and I believe you thought her rather pretty at one time. And Darcy is finally like super done with this conversation and goes, yeah, that's only when I first knew her. It's been many months since I think she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever known. And then he like leaves the room. So he like drops the mic and leaves. And the line that Jane Austen wrote after that is, he then went away and Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. Which is just a good line. She She's just... She's so good. But I... This, this whole, like... I don't know. Caroline is such a puzzle because she's very clearly... In love with Darcy. Or at least, like, really wants to be married to him. I think she wants the consequence. Yeah. I think she wants to be Mrs. Darcy more than she's in love with Darcy. Yes, I agree. But, like, her only means of trying to separate him from her rival is to disparage. And I think that there's a really important distinction between how Darcy reacts to the that attitude like early in the novel and late in the novel because early in the novel he kind of goes along with it he's like yeah this is witty repartee it's what we do so he like plays into it and then he like talks about elizabeth's fine eyes i think just to get a rise out of caroline early on but here at the end of the novel he's like yeah i did say that but my mind has changed so leave it alone and stop being a bitch just horrible bitch. So, with yeah, she's she's a hard one to kind of pin down because her motive is to what? She wants to marry him. She wants to be Mrs. Darcy. We don't know anything else about her. No, we don't get and- anything else about her that she's there to take care of her brother's household. Mm-hmm. Like that's and why I'm- she's come. I'm really curious to know how old Caroline Bingley is when we're talking about, like, you have so many seasons and you need to get married. And, like, how, how many, yeah, how many seasons ha- does she have under her belt? 
And think about other characters who are sent to take care of their brother's estates and things like that. Like Fanny Price, um, oh God, the elder aunt. Yes. Norris, Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris. She's a horrible person. And she's there to just kind of like run the household so the Bertrams don't have to think about it. Like, is that what Caroline... Is Caroline Bingley, like... Is she old enough to be on the shelf and she's just here to see out the rest of her days, taking care of her brother's stuff? Yeah. I always also had that question about um, Elizabeth... uh, The older sister of of Anne. Elliot. (coughs) Thank you. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, because we're told that Anne is 27... And we're told that Elizabeth is older than Anne is, and she's also not married. And so everybody goes on and on about, like, oh, it's so sad that Anne's a spinster. And it's like, nobody says that about Elizabeth. It's like, Elizabeth's 30 at that point. Like. And and she's just going to be taking care of her father forever. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting question. And I feel like there is depth to Caroline that there isn't to a lot of the characters in this novel but I also feel like we don't we don't have enough tools to adequately see what the depth is it's there but like I have not been given the flashlight and I feel like that is why there are so many fan fictions Mm -hmm. because the characters you can ask those questions and write entire novels about them oh for sure 100% and that they can be fully fleshed out and wonderful. And I'm sure that there is a Caroline Bingley novel out there that I will never read because <laughs> like her. It's not true. I'll read it. <laughs> You'll read anything. Change. change. Not anything. There was a book last year called Spring Hill Jack. I made it five chapters and I had to put it down. I won't read any. You'll I start really remember anything. That was a bad book. Huh? You'll start, start anything. Reading. Why not? Well, you're a great reader and you take pleasure in nothing else. I neither deserve that praise nor that censure. <laughs> I think oh, this entire Cassie, podcast episode Can we find just, a way to just only speak in Jane Austen? Only speak in Jane Austen quotes? Absolutely. Absolutely we I, can. I think we could annoy many people. And that's the aim. Always. So we've gone two hours and 40-ish minutes Mm -hmm. into talking about Pride and Prejudice. Yes. And I swear that I have probably brought up the fact that we've seen the original manuscript for this in like two dozen other podcasts that we've done. It's true, but we have not talked about it in this. (laughs) We haven't talked about it. Yeah. And I don't have anything to add about it either, except for, yeah, we did it. We did it. We saw it. It was great. We saw it. It's in the, it's in the British Library. It's on her writing desk. It's super cool. And I think that it's because I always want people to let us talk about it. And now we have full permission. We have full permission. Like, nobody's stopping us. All right. We're 40 minutes in. Let's. And your husband will kill us if we do another two hour. He can suck it. I said that at the beginning. So let's talk about adaptations. Because, oh, goodness. There are so many. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start Ugh. with movies or books? Do you want to start with... Uh, I want to start with books. 
books. Okay. So on Facebook, I asked, what's the weirdest adaptation? And I meant books. And for the most part, everybody said Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yeah, it's a, I, it's a weird one. I feel it's not the weirdest. It's not the weirdest. But it is, it is weird. And it's fantastic. It's weird in a unique way because, like, every other adaptation is going to be changing the story, changing the language in some way. It's either going to be a continuation, it's going to be a different point of view. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is the text of Pride and Prejudice. Yep. It's just that every once in a while, the undead get mentioned. But the dialogue is kept mostly intact. The narrative is kept mostly intact. Like, Jane Austen's words are a part of that novel to the extent that she is listed as an author of it. Right. The So the structure, even. So Jane Austen writes in short chapters, um, which is nice because it moves it along. Mm-hmm. So short chapters. And she has a unique way of doing, unique for the time, of doing dialogue. She tends to summarize conversations rather than write out all the dialogue. So they kept all of that. And then they just also made her a martial artist. Yeah. And there being a zombie apocalypse. Exactly. I read this book, loved it. And did not expect to get so sad in parts. Um, because I'm a really big fan of Charlotte Lucas. Yeah. She broke my heart. She broke my heart. Um, and we do veer off quite significantly, but Catherine de Berg, this is the best version of Catherine de Berg. <laughs> it's a pretty good Catherine de Berg. This is the best version of Catherine de Berg. Yeah. Um, so- because she's kind of cool. <laughs> She's pretty cool. I have not read a lot of novel adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. I think it's because I read a few when I was younger that were like continuations of the story. And I tend to not like continuations because like I have very specific ideas of what happens to these characters after the story. And if you don't fall in line with those, like I have no interest in in reading your book. So I... I've read a lot of continuations and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And But there is an author who writes the weirdest adaptations. Period. Yes. Do tell. Are you aware of Abigail Reynolds? Only because of your Facebook comment. Okay. This woman. Okay. Not only is Darcy's enchantment about like while they are in Huntsford. Elizabeth starts to remember things about being in fairy, and it turns out like her mom had sex with a fairy and made Elizabeth, and so she's part fae. Okay. And that the fairy then made her mom forget, and that's why her mom's just a little batshit. That's an interesting and interpretation. And Darcy is also like half kin. And the DeBergs are evil sorcerers. Like, it's fucking weird. 
but I loved it. That this so yeah. I read wow. that this year. I read it this year while like right after the pandemic started, because I was listening to that while I was making masks, and it was just a really bizarre turn of events. But yeah. she writes a lot, so she's got a famous like. Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy is an actual, like, legitimate retelling from his point of view, and it's pretty good. And I bought that one in paperback. I did not buy the Darcy's Enchantment. That one you can find on Hoopla. Okay. Yeah, it's like a don't buy it, but listen to it. It's it's good. It's yeah. terrible. I, like, I know but, that there are a lot of book adaptations of this story out there. That's not she, what I gravitate towards when I want an adaptation of this story. Do you want, like, the modernizations and the different tellings? Um, I do like the modernizations, the different tellings. I find a lot of people who – I read a lot of young adult literature, and so there are people who try to retell this with, like, high schoolers, and that doesn't work for me because the stakes are never high enough. When it's, like – there's a there's a YA book that I did read. It's called Prom and Prejudice. <laughs> I would read that. <laughs> I read it. It was fine, but it's like it's not on the same level because it's not like we will be destitute if my children don't get married. It's like nobody wants to take Lizzie to the prom. I just, just not. I'm, gonna, I'm totally reading that next. <laughs> I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna get it on Audible just so I can play it loudly through the house. I think. So, um, so I feel like if you're going to modernize it. Like, the characters need to be minimum, like, college age. Yeah. Because um, it needs to be, like, real-life consequences that they're facing, however you choose to interpret it. So it doesn't have to be marriage, necessarily, but, like, it needs to be you are making decisions that will have a substantial impact on the rest of your life, not just who's going to take me to the homecoming dance. Hey, that was life or death at one point in time. Was it though? So two modernish ones that are famous are going to be the um, shop around the corner, and you've got mail. That's one, but also Bridget Jones' diary. Yeah. So Helen Fielding wrote several Bridget Jones diaries, and I thought it was a fun way of doing just a really like thin slice of that story, but it's not. Like, so much is lost. It's just Lizzie and Darcy. Well, and and here's my thing, too. Shop Around the Corner and You've Got Mail are not Pride and Prejudice. It's definitely, like, the same sort of relationship um, that, like, enemies to, to lovers kind of deal. But they are very specifically both retellings of a Hungarian play called Parfumery from the <sighs> 1940s. Oh, look at you. I know. It's one of my favorites, Beth. It's one of my favorite stories because it's anonymous pen pals, so I know all about it. Parfumery? Parfumery. Um, the actual English translation of this play is impossible to find, but uh, it was adapted into the Broadway musical She Loves Me and also the movie shop around the corner. But She Loves Me is probably the most faithful adaptation to the play. I'm going to have to find it. I've got a list already going over here. I'm like, oh, I didn't know what that one. I didn't know what that one. Yeah. So one of my favorite modern retellings is a movie. 
Please tell me. It's Bride and Prejudice. Oh, how did I know? It's my favorite Mary character. Like, All right. kinda, hands down, Let's... Mary in that one is better than Mary in any other. <laughs> Let's really briefly go through... All of Before the f- we move on to films, hold on, there's one more I gotta tell you about. No, no, absolutely. So, and this was, when we first decided we were gonna read Pride and Prejudice, I went to go find one, and I'm like, oh, well, this is a good, I'll, I'll listen to Pride and Prejudice. But while I was doing it, I remembered that I bought a really interesting retelling called Pride. Oh, I have it on my shelf right now, I just haven't read it yet. It's very good. So it is about uh, an Afro-Latina family. That is the Bennetts. It's not their name. But the gentrification of their neighborhood is where we are getting, like, Bingley and Darcy are brothers and they're moving into the neighborhood. It is, yes, it's high school aged, but it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, so when you get a chance, on my list, it's very good. It's very, that I was like, I've read this so many times. Let's read an adaptation, which, um, it's really just an excuse. Button. to read another attitude. Yeah, 100% research. Um, okay, so let's talk really briefly about all of the different ways that you can watch the story of Pride and Prejudice. And we can touch briefly on our feelings about all of them. So I think first off, there's like straight adaptations. Like, right. this is the story. We haven't done anything to it ostensibly. Like, here you go. We start off with the 1940s. Are you really considering that a straight adaptation? I mean, you shouldn't, but they they build it as that. It's so bad. It's Regency England by way of antebellum South. Antebellum South. So everybody's in like off the shoulder gowns and hoop skirts. Ryan would have loved it because I think the whole thing takes place over three days. So and it ends in a wedding. So it's a romance, and it ends in a wedding. Um, they blatantly changed the ending so that the whole thing was a scheme on the part of Lady Catherine de Bourgh to get Darcy and Elizabeth together. Oh my God. It's so bad. Yeah. It's just, it's, I, it's Laurence Olivier and it's supposed to be good. And it's just, it's not, it's not, it's so bad. So Um, yeah, skipping straight over that. Um, there was, I remember being excited when I found it on like TMC late one night. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this was a thing. And then I watched it and I'm like, oh my God, why is that even a thing? I had the same reaction to that as I did to watching the 1980 Northanger Abbey. Uh, cause you missed the point. The point was over yeah. there and you missed it. You missed it. Um, but yeah, they sure do love each other. Good job. <laughs> They did, BBC did a version in a TV miniseries in the 80s that I... With the stiffest Mr. Darcy. I have not actually seen this all the way through. I've seen clips from it. I have it. I think I only have it on VHS, though. I thought about watching it, um, but then it was five hours long, and I only had one five-hour Pride and Prejudice run in me this week. (laughs) So, if you ever want it, I do own it. Um... It's not good. It's not bad. It's it's 1980s BBC. Yeah. So the somehow like the 1980s in America, high quality. Like the outdoor scenes are still like high quality, and you can't hear 
all of nature behind it. But for some reason, in, the BBC couldn't figure out how to shoot outside. So it's kind of tough to watch. And it's just so stiff. So stiff. Yeah. But the five-hour um, stretch of Pride and Prejudice that I was able to commit to was, of course, the 1995 A&E Pride and Prejudice miniseries with Jennifer L. and Colin Firth that owns my soul and is amazing. When that came out, it was really a very big turning point in my life because A&E would do this series every year. And they did that, where they just steal from BBC. So they showed that, and they showed um, Samantha Morton's Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I watched anything else for a year solid. I absolutely love this adaptation. It's very faithful to the novel. Um, really? It's it very faithful to the novel. And... Like line for line dialogue lifted straight. They condense some things. They like take conversations that actually take place over like three conversations and put them into one. Um, But for the most part, there is Darcy diving into a lake and then walking around with his collar open and his shirt tails hanging out. And that's not out of the novel, but it was a good addition. But it would have been. It was a good addition. Um, it wasn't a picture book, so you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. But I, Colin Firth makes this movie for me. He is so good. He is such a good Darcy. And it's his face. It's his acting in the silent moments. It's his reaction. Like in his proposal scene, when he proposes to Elizabeth the first time, and she throws in his face that, you know, had you acted in a more gentlemanly manner. His face shows you the landing of those words. It shows his horror at himself. Like, and it's it's almost like watching a different actor between the beginning part of that movie and the second part of that movie after he flips the switch. Like, when you see him at Pemberley, he's, like, completely a different character than when you saw him early on. And I love him. He's amazing. It's so good. It, it's so good. And... That Mrs. Bennett. Oh. She's my favorite Mrs. Bennett. She, yeah, she's a really good Mr. Bennett. I think it might be my favorite Mr. Bennett, too. Here's the only thing I took from 2005. I liked Donald Sutherland as Mr. Bennett. I did. But I didn't feel like he had as much bite as I wanted Mr. Bennett to have. I could see that. But that Mrs. Bennett? Oh, she's perfect. She is Mrs. Especially, Bennett from the novel. It's not an actor. It is when, Mrs. Bennett. They just lifted it right off. Like, there's a scene at the Netherfield Ball where she's sitting amongst her friends talking about how much money. And she says, like, the way she says the phrase, like, 10,000 pounds, and then she pops a grape into her mouth and chews it. <laughs> mouth open. Yeah, that is, no, it's, when somebody's like, hey, do you know who Mrs. Bennett is? I'm like, Ugh. right there. That's who it is. Yep. Yep. It's just like, there is one thing about this movie I do not like. And one thing only. 
And it is, it's an instance where Jane Austen has summarized dialogue instead of writing dialogue. And so, well, obviously when you're writing a screenplay, you can't summarize the dialogue, you have to write it. So it was one of those moments where they had to write Jane Austen for her. It is immediately after the second proposal. And it is, it is after Colin Firth says, you're too generous to trifle with me. If your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. It's that bit. And then they had to write Elizabeth's dialogue following. And I hate what they wrote where she goes, Oh, my feelings. My feelings are so different. In fact, they are quite I'm- the opposite. And it just, it feels so awkward and disingenuous. And I hate it. But that is the only flaw this movie has. It is quite perfect. It's so good. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I I think any true, anybody, any true Jane Austen fan, God, that's too gatekeepery. I can't say that. This is so many people's favorite. Yeah, because. Adaptation. When, when you have. When you have book purists who, when they want an adaptation, they literally want to just be able to watch the novel play out. This is what you give them. Mm-hmm. Because that's what this is. This is the novel come to life in front of you. And I am not a book purist. I don't mind making changes to storyline or to dialogue if it enhances the way that you're telling the story in the format that you're choosing. However, it is kind of nice to have this one example of, okay, but they did just take the book that I love and give it to me as a movie with Colin Firth diving into a lake at one point. You keep bringing that up. It's a good scene. It's a good scene. And it just enhances that beautiful awkwardness when he stumbles upon Elizabeth at the end. Because it's not just that he's not expecting to see her as he comes around from the stables. It's he's in a state of half dress. And that is is like so improper. And he's trying to act like it's not happening. Because he doesn't know what else to do with himself. Like he can't acknowledge it. He just has to pretend and then, like, run into the house as fast as he can to get properly attired. And then go and apologize. And I love his apology. He comes running out. He's like, I I apologize for not receiving you properly just now. I love that. I love it. All right. So good. All right. Now you have to talk about it. Now we come to it. What you've all been waiting for. Here we are. So... I remember going to see the 2005 Pride and Prejudice in theaters. I was so excited. Um, I couldn't find anybody to go with me. And my friend Chrissy said if I drove up to Toledo, she'd go. And she was late. So I was sitting there in the theater all by myself, ready to watch this. I was so excited. And then I was so disappointed. It's... They live on a goddamn pig farm. It's not good. What the hell? It's not good. And here's here's the thing. Okay. So, like I said, somebody asked me about this on Facebook, so I wrote an essay. And I said, I have two <laughs> I have two so issues. I wrote an essay. I did. It's very long. <laughs> I hope you I hope you noted your sources and footnoted it. My sources are me. Um <laughs> my my issues 
are widespread, but they largely fall into two categories. And then there's like a third nitpicky category, which is that the costumes are not in any way historically inaccurate. And I don't know what the fuck is going on with Bingley's hair, but that's not how they did back then. Um, Caroline wouldn't be walking around in a dress with no sleeves. Oh, that's true. Come on. She would have had caps. Yeah, no caps. She's got just like spaghetti straps. It's inaccurate. But that's negligible. Um, that's getting mad about Hermione's dress color in the Goblet of Fire movie when there are so many other things to be mad about in that movie. <laughs> so, my my criticisms... You're, I mean, you're right. There, uh, why doesn't... Should have given George and Fred the Triwizard Tournament winnings, at least. Something. We could have maybe okay. made that movie slightly like the book. That would have been great, too. Um, but... The the two major categories of problems that I have with this novel. Um, the first is Darcy. I hate how Darcy was written in this version. I don't like Matthew McFadyen's portrayal very much. And only part of it is his fault. The other part of it is that he was given shit writing. They felt the need so frequently with so many characters to rewrite Austin's dialogue. Why would you rewrite Austin's dialogue? It's amazing. I will try to turn so much of it into a weird thirst trap. Yes. And that's my other problem, which I'll get to in a second. But Fitzwilliam Darcy has been given beautiful dialogue. It was written by Jane Austen. It's right there in the novel. Please use it. I will never forgive them for turning... In vain I have struggled, it will not do. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. To, I love you. Most ardently. It's inexcusable. Why would you do that? And and I talked in the last episode about how important it is after Darcy's second proposal that he stops talking and lets Elizabeth make the answer to it. And... In this version, he makes that second proposal. One word from you will silence me on the subject forever. And then he keeps talking. And that's where we get the you have bewitched me body and soul, which is an awful line. And then we get the absolutely egregious, I love, I love, I love you. You've bewitched me. Body. No, I hate it. I hate it so much because the whole point of the first proposal is that he is steamrolling her he's not letting her answer he's like making all of these comments for her assuming her feeling and not letting her get a word in and to show the growth he has to say like hey bare bones i still love you i still want to marry you but you get to control what happens next and then you have to let him let her control what happens next I feel like you need to hashtag Alex Bean on that because I've been trying to define what it is that I hate about this movie. And all I can seem to come up with is aesthetic things. Yeah. But that really is a good point. Yeah. Um, I, what, there's so much of that movie is spent in silence with little pinkling piano music while she sits on a swing and spins around. 
And then they shorten up everything that's great into I love you. You're right. And but that's my beautifully said. Thank you. It's from my essay on Facebook. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a scholarly work. But my biggest problem with this movie is that they it does have to do with aesthetic, but it's that they made everything more complicatedly dramatic than it ever needed to be to try and make it feel edgier for a modern audience. But in doing so, they actually undermined the very real world in which Austin was writing. So first of all, listen, the cinematography of this movie is is beautiful. It's a gorgeous movie. However, it is gorgeous like a Bronte novel. They filmed this movie like a Bronte novel. Knock it off. And it's 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 not. It's all misty moors and gothic ruins, and that's not Austin. Austin characters don't go running after their lady loves to confess their feelings in the pouring rain against a strategically placed crumbling ruin. They don't do that. You're not knocking Bronte. You're just saying it's not I'm Austin. just saying it's not Austin. Okay. All right. I'm allowing The it. whole tone of the movie is is off. It feels like an epic gothic romance, but Austin was specifically satirizing epic gothic romances. And every adaptive choice that they made was so extra, which in a way is detrimental to the characterization and the audience's understanding of the historical world that the characters inhabit. Lady Catherine de Bourgh is not showing up in the middle of the night to talk to anybody. That would Nobody not be that. done. No. And no. Darcy is not going to walk across the moors at dawn to go see Elizabeth in a state of half dress. Also, Elizabeth's not walking around in her night clothes and a coat across the moors no. in the middle of the morning. She no. absolutely is not. Because the whole point of this novel is propriety. It's the the standards that women were forced into, that men were forced into, that people of social standing were forced into, and you couldn't break those rules. There were consequences for breaking those rules. And this movie completely disregards that because it wants to give us this love confession in the pouring rain. So, part of my problem with this movie is that yeah, they focus on this, like, extra drama. And they do it in stupid ways. Yeah. I'm not going to be as eloquent as you because you wrote an essay. I did write an essay. But there's little things that bother me that that seem to be heightening the drama. So they're trying to make the Bennets seem more destitute than they are. And so we get lots of things like a dirty kitchen table. That they wipe off to put down plates to have family dinner. No. Yeah. That's mm -mm. not what we're talking about. Mrs. Bennett has $5,000 to dole out. That's a lot of money. Like, they're fine. It's about what's going to happen after Mr. Bennett dies. Like, that's where the destitution comes in. It's not current. We see them on a working farm. Like, the... There might have been a farm aspect to it, but we also have multiple servants. Yeah. There's Hill, there's the maids, there's 
a cook. There are multiple servants who are living in this house. It's not a farm. Um, It's not a farm. They don't live on a farm. That's not what we're doing here. The despair, like, there needed to not be such a difference between the class of Darcy and the class of Elizabeth for there still to have been a step down in the social life. Yeah, because she says to Lady Catherine, uh, Lady Catherine's I am a gentleman's daughter. I am a gentleman's daughter. I am not quitting my sphere. We are equals. Yeah. So they don't present that at all. They're not equals. Um, The balls at Meryton and at Netherfield are shown as this crush where I don't even know how you would have had a conversation. Yeah. Seen the same person twice. Talked about anybody. It seems aesthetic, but there's no tension at all in them. Yeah, and also instead of seeing a portrait gallery in Pemberton, at Pemberton, Pemberley, it's, it's a, a marble bust. Who has a marble bust of themselves? I know you do. I wish that. I did. But and and I. But it looks like they're walking through a part of the British Art Museum. Yeah. And it's like, ugh, it just, the changes that were made were made nonsensically. Like, there's no reason to make this change. Like I said before, I'm not a book purist. You can make changes, but they need to be there purposefully to enhance the story being told. Nothing is enhanced by having Lady Catherine de Bourgh show up in the middle of the night. Nothing is enhanced by this first proposal taking place in the pouring rain. And and I I watched, like certain scenes from each movie. I didn't watch this whole movie in preparation for this, but I watched scenes for it. And I had forgotten until I watched the video of this proposal that they put in an almost kiss at the end of this proposal. And I am so mad about it. I am so mad about it. Because at this point in the story, Lizzie is not in any way attracted to Darcy. She legitimately, thoroughly hates him. It's not this like, ooh, but then maybe there's tension. Absolutely not. There's not. And secondly, Darcy would not do that. He is the picture of propriety always, 100%. You did not kiss anybody you were not married to, period. It is something I hate about that movie. And I know it's a beautiful scene. And I know they got good chemistry. But just like making out in the middle of Bath Streets, at the end of Persuasion, it fucking bugs me hate it no it doesn't fit it doesn't fit it doesn't fit and putting those elements in to try and appeal more to a modern audience undermines the tension that is inherent in this story if you know enough about it and that tension could still be in the 2005 version if they spent more time establishing the world and the rules of society for the audience and less time being extra. And you don't even have to do a ton. We already have the social cues. It can all be done visually. You don't have to spend any time talking about it. But I think it was a miss. I think they had yeah. enough money. They spent enough money on it. And I know a lot of people love it, but I'm not a fan. I'm not, not a, a fan, fan either. I'm not. All right. But well, that takes us up to 
That's all of the basic. That's all of the basic, like, straightforward retellings. And then there's lots of, like, modernizations. I know you want to talk about Bride and Prejudice. Um, I desperately want to talk about the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Um, but we're hitting an hour and 15 minutes. So we've got 45 minutes left that we can discuss this. Because oh, good, good. we can hit our good. two And we'll still again. end before we normally end Shakespeare. Exactly. Um, anyway, so... There's also, there's like a whole slew. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting Pride and Prejudice. There's Death Comes to Pemberley, which was a book series that they adapted recently into a miniseries that's pretty good. There's the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies movie. Um, There's... Well, and Death Comes to Pemberley, that's... So most of these are written, like most of these adaptations are written by authors that you wouldn't know. Probably. But... That's P.D. James. Yeah. That's the same author who wrote Children of Men. Like, that's... She writes a lot of dark shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I don't like the adaptation. Like, the film one... Elizabeth Bennet is a strong and witty, sassy woman. And they made her simpering in the miniseries. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it, um, but it's there. It exists. Um, It is. There's Austin Land, which is... Super fun. Super fun. It's not directly Pride and Prejudice, but it is very Jane Austen. Um, There's Lost in Austin, which is a trip. So... (laughs) Lost in Austin, Jane Austen, Austin Land is great because there's a, like, theme park for women. Yes. So that you can go live in a Jane Austen world. Lost in Austin is, like, the reverse version of the air affair. Yes, instead of where a character she accident- disappearing from a novel. Well, she does disappear. So a modern woman named Amanda switches places with Elizabeth Bennett and Elizabeth Bennett comes into the modern world and Amanda goes into Pride and Prejudice and falls in love with Darcy. Right. Um, and we get uh, Bill... I can't remember his name. He plays Bill Compton in the True Blood series. He's married to Anna Paquin. But he he's our Mr. Darcy and he's fantastic like that's just such a fun movie that's a fun movie no it is it's a good it's a good trip um and there's there's dozens more i'm sure but why don't you talk about bride and prejudice because that's your favorite it is my favorite so i am a big fan of the director uh marinar she is wonderful and she made uh, Bride and Prejudice is a Bollywood-style musical version of Pride and Prejudice. And it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. I want to say that I have seen this movie like two or three times, but randomly without provocation, No Life Without Life gets stuck yes. in my head. <laughs> and I'm just mad about it all the time. So there's a couple of things from this movie. Like, everybody needs to go watch it. It's amazing. And I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. But there's a wonderful musical number about Mr. Collins and how he's looking for his wife. Because there's no life without wife. And it's so good. Oh, my God. 
I it's spend amazing. more time than is reasonable with that song stuck in my head. Yeah. It is I'm disproportionate. So I, hope, I hope you go to bed tonight. Oh, it's in my head right oh, now. Oh, Mr. Collins. Yeah. It's in my head right now because we're talking about it. But no, it's right, uh, it's a very fun movie. Um, So the Bennets are not the Bennets. That's not their name in this one. Um, But they're an Indian family. And right. the Darcys are a white family. Who own a hotel chain and they're... Um, somebody is getting married to someone else. And it's... A one, there's a wonderful musical number about a marriage into town. Um, but Mr. Darcy's friend is, and it's, it's supposed to be Bingley. It's supposed to be Bingley. Yes. Invites Mr. Darcy to come to India with him for a chance to go to his wedding and to check out some hotels. Um, and there's wonderful comments about cultural appropriation. And uh, exotifying cultures and things like that is all in there. But the most important thing is that Mary Bennett character does the most ridiculous cobra dance I've ever seen. And I don't think that there has ever been a Mary Bennett put to screen that so intensely captures the character of Mary Bennett in the book. She's trying so hard yeah, to be so traditionally Indian and so perfect. And it's so weird. I love it. No, it's love worth it. a watch for sure. Um, it's worth a watch. Ashanti's in it even. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of cultural appropriation, because she's just like all over that. See, for me, a- if you have... Uh, nine hours to spare. You can watch my favorite adaptation of Pride and Prejudice from start to finish. On Shakespeare, I am frequently the person who sits and goes, okay, let's talk about the literary inspired web series that is this Shakespeare play. The OG literary inspired web series is the Lindsay Bennett Diaries. It was a YouTube adaptation of Pride and Prejudice that came out in 2012 that was uh, the brainchild of Hank Green. And it literally defined this genre. It was a completely brand new way of storytelling. So it was Lizzie, a 24-year-old grad student, making vlogs about her life as part of a school project. And so... The cast is small. There's only about 10 actors in the whole thing. And so it's all the younger generation. There's absolutely no actors for the older generation. They are represented through impersonations that Lizzie does of her mother and her father. And she like makes Charlotte and she makes Jane and Lydia join her in doing impersonations of these characters. You actually don't meet Darcy until like, until the, first proposal which is not a proposal it's just a confession of love in this one um but it's 60 episodes in before you meet darcy up to that point he is only represented by one of the girls wearing a newsboy cap and a bow tie and pretending to be darcy so it is delightful it's so good i love it 
saying nine hours start to finish is frightening. However, they are all like five to ten. Yeah, minutes. they're like they're like three, four, five minute long videos because this was a YouTube series and it was updated in real time. So part of my love for this adaptation is that I experienced it as it was happening. So I frantically waited on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the notification on my phone that there was a new Lizzie Bennett diary video. And then I would take my 15 minute break at work to go into the back room, watch it and freak out on Tumblr with, uh, all of the other fans about what had just happened. All of the words you just said aged and dated you. I know. For exactly, exactly how Listen, you on my last episode of, of Slippers and Spindles that we recorded, I talked about how I watched The Little Mermaid as a child on a VHS tape where we had taped it from the television channel as it aired and it got taped over. So that sentence dated me way more. It did. Than what I said it about did. watching YouTube and Tumblr. Um, but the way that they modernized this story was very, very smart. And they made these really conscious, deliberate choices for how were they going to adapt this. So none of it is about marriage. The proposal from Ricky Collins in this version, his name is Ricky Collins. Um, the proposal is a job offer that she's not going to take because she thinks it's selling out. And so when Charlotte takes the job offer, Lizzie accuses her of not caring about the art of her craft anymore and just being in this for the money. And it's a very smart, modern look at that relationship. And Charlotte's point being like, I've got student loan debt and, you know, my family doesn't have a house to sell and we're, you know, struggling and I need the money and this is a good job. So, I have to say, I'm real tired of Hank Green telling me what's smart and funny and always being right about it. <laughs> I am obsessed with TikTok, as many people know. Hank Green on TikTok. He's so good. Just He just explained to me why I'm a lava monster. Yes, I saw uh, that. And he did it with science. Yeah, we are lava monsters. It's unsettling. We are lava monsters. So, uh, I don't read John Green novels anymore, but I like Hank Green. I don't read John Green novels because I don't want to cry like a He also child. hasn't written any in a while, so there's that element Well, that's good, element I'm too. done. But, like, I think my favorite aspect of this story is how they handled Lydia's storyline. Because, obviously, if you're doing a modernization of this story... You talked about liking redemption stories. Lydia's redemption story in this is amazing because she gets taken in by George Wickham. She gets drawn into a toxic, abusive relationship with him that largely she's thrown into because of the way she's treated by her sisters, which you see happening as the story goes along. And she doesn't end up with Wickham. Um, the elopement is actually a sex tape that he puts up on the Internet and, you know, Darcy finds a way to get it down. But the story really becomes about fixing and mending that relationship between the sisters. Lydia's storyline is my favorite thing about the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. It's so well done. And Lydia is given such amazing depth. The acting on this web series is on point. Every single actor is absolutely it's, brilliant. It's wonderful. 
Um, and you get, okay, so there's Lizzie and Jane and Lydia, Charlotte, um, Darcy, Bing. So Bing Lee becomes an Asian family, the Lees. So there's Bing Lee and Caroline Lee. Um, and they're both actors in it. And Ricky Collins is an actor in it. Charlotte's sister Maria is an actor. And then Colonel Fitzwilliam, Fitzwilliams in this, um, is an actor. And then Georgiana, Gigi, is an actor who comes in near the end. And so, like, there's just, like, 11 people in the cast. And it's just, it's so smart. It's so well done. I absolutely adore it. Absolutely adore it. And I highly recommend it. So we've talked about our favorites. What's your least favorite? 2005. 2005, period. Did you ever watch the Mormon Pride and Prejudice? You just said a cursed phrase. It was cursed, what you just said. Oh, I curse a lot. I have not watched the Mormon Pride and Prejudice. Okay. I think it's a tie between 2005 and 1940. Because they're infuriating for different reasons. Part of my infuriation with 2005 is how much people love it. I think the 1941 gets a pass for me. Because it's... It is a piece of cute little history. It's fine. Yeah. Captain Blood made at that time also not anything like the book. Still fun. Now, the 2005, I feel like there's just like a, you knew better. Yeah. Ten years earlier. Yeah. It was done better. And I don't need you to redo the same thing. I just need you to not fuck it up. Right. And you did. On multiple levels. But you were going to ask favorite versions of characters across. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the Bennets. Okay. Mr. and Mrs. 95 for both. But I do see the merit of Donald Sutherland's Mr. Bennett. I liked his Mr. Bennett. What about the younger two? Lizzie Bennett Diaries is my favorite Lydia. And might be my favorite Kitty, just because she's an actual cat. (laughs) She's an actual cat. Kitty's such a throwaway character anyway. So, I I like the Lydia from the 2005. I hate the Lydia in 90... Like, every time Lydia in the 95 She's so one annoying. Is on, There's, like, nothing redemptive about her at all. Like, when they... Oh, they're, Jane Austen wrote into the novel the phrase, la, as, like, a lark. La! The way that care, that actress says it makes me want to punch her. And I don't know why they picked her. Because she's best known for being on Absolutely Fabulous as, like, the prim uptight. Charange, I guess. And I love her in Lark Rise to Candleford. But in Pride and Prejudice, I just want to, like... Yeah, I like the actress from the 2005. It's the same, I don't remember her name, but it's the same actress who plays Joanna Mason in the Hunger Games movies. 
Yeah. Um, and she's very And good Carrie at Mulligan is Kitty in that. Like a very early Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. One of the first kind of breakout things for her. And I will give... They got those two characters correct, except that they always seem kind of dirty and sticky. <laughs> yes. I also like the Mary from 2005... My favorite Mary is still Bride and Prejudice. I like. I also like Lizzie Bennet Diaries' Mary. Um, she's like the goth emo cousin. <laughs> it's pretty great. I love it. It's pretty great. Uh, yeah. There's a scene where um, Lydia's throwing a party for her birthday that's not a direct correlation to anything from the novel. And at one point, Lizzie and Mary are holed up in Lizzie's bedroom because neither of them want to be at the party, but they kind of have to be. And uh, Lizzie's like, well, since we're here, we can do some reenactment of this conversation that I had with uh, George Wickham. And the actress who plays Mary is, um, her name's Brianna Cuomo. And she does such a good job of acting a bad actor. So, like, Mary, the character, can't act at all. She's horrible. And the actor playing Mary does such a good job of like representing that but at the same time she's so proud of herself for her portrayal it's it's marvelous and adorable I, I she's such a trier yeah she tries so hard such a try so I like that Mary quite a bit how about should we do the hard ones or should we uh let's do them. let's do them so Jane who's your, who's your favorite Elizabeth oh. I think you can go Jane. We can do Jane first if you need to ease in. I will say I like Rosamund Pike's Jane from 2005. I think they cast 2005 really well and then gave them shit to work with. Um, Because I like Rosamund Pike's. I don't want to default to Lizzie Bennet Diaries all over the time, but I also really like Laura Spencer's Jane Bennett. I like Rosamund Pike a lot. Yeah. It also helps that included in that is also somebody who just will slyly uh, pretend to kill herself uh, to get her husband in trouble. But that's just the bleeding of actors there. Yes. It's because England only has 12 actors. It, okay, but yeah, Elizabeth. That's why Harry Potter. That's yeah. so why we know who everybody in Harry yeah. Potter is. There's, only six. There's six of them. Elizabeth is Jennifer L. It just is. Yep. Like, just just, 100%. it is. I like Kira There's Knightley. No she does a good job with the shit that she's given. She's okay. Um, I really like Ashley Clements in the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, but Jennifer L. owns my heart. Favorite Darcy. If the answer's not Wishbone, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> I didn't watch it when you posted it. I saw it. I'm like, oh my god, I remember that, but I'm not watching that right now. <laughs> What's the network thinking about it? That's what I did today at work. I thought about Jane, uh, I thought about Pride and Prejudice all day. So if anybody's money deposits are messed up, sorry. <laughs> oh, my favorite Darcy. It's probably Colin. It's Colin Firth. It just is. Um, He's so good. And, and to this day, like, part of the reason that I love 
the Kingsman is because I love Colin Firth. Um, part of the reason that uh, I liked the Bridget Jones Diary is because I love Colin Firth. I, I yeah. I will say as And I love him because of that. Okay. Yeah. Yes. No, he's very, very good. I will say we're talking about Lizzie's. I also did like Lily James in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which I for, keep forgetting to include because I've only seen it once. But I, I like Lily James. You so. should watch it. You should watch it again. Yeah. You should watch it again. It. I went to go. See, so I would see it in the theaters. Clearly, that's who I am. But it's so clever. Yeah. Um, the whole thing is clever. The book is clever. The movie is clever. And Lily James plays a badass and a half. Yeah. And I remembered uh, remembered that because I know that we're going to talk about our favorite Catherine de Berg. And uh, I remembered that Lena Headey plays Catherine de Berg in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. She's amazing. Yeah, it's real good. And, oh. So let's go to Catherine DeBerg then. Who, like, that's my favorite one. Yeah, um, I like that. I like the 95 one. Judy Dench was fine. I expect more from Judy Dench. Yeah. But. There's a. In Pride. Uh, so, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. There is a. The, like. Tell me you won't. Get married to Mr. Darcy scene is a torture scene in the basement. It's so it's good. so good. <laughs> um, and then on a similar bent, I think Matt Smith might be my favorite Mr. Collins. I have a problem with that. Yeah, because I love Matt Smith. So it's hard for you to watch him be this obsequious. But he does it so well. He does. Like, I like... But the 95... He just makes me feel gross. Because they made him greasy. I know. So he's always greasy. And he does this thing where he, like, holds his hands together and bows whenever he's talking. Just to be more sycophantic. And every time Uh. he's talking to, like, Lady Catherine and she cuts him off, he, like, presses a hand against his mouth. Like, I will not speak until I am given leave to again. And so it's over the top and I love it because I hate him and I have a, just love Matt Smith. Yeah. But Matt Smith did such a good job. He's fine. Whatever. Potatoes. I don't know. (laughs) He's got that scene with potatoes. I don't know. Um, Who else? Oh, the Bingley's, I guess. I don't know. Oh, Crispin Bottom Carter. Yeah, oh yeah, he's fantastic. Um, he's so smiley. Bottom Carter's little brother. They're actually third cousins. They, they're cousins. They're third cousins. Yeah. Brothers. No, brother. Okay, I've decided. <laughs> Excellent. Also, more people should be named Crispin. Crispin Bottom Carter. Yeah. Love um, it. No, he's he's great. I I really like him. Um, Caroline. Yeah, the, the guy from two thousand and five that they got. The redhead. He's so sweet. But like he's I I will I mean, say he's just one of the that, Weasley kids. <laughs> that one of the moments from 2005 that I do genuinely enjoy, it's one of the very few moments 
But I do really love the scene where Darcy is helping Bingley practice his proposal to Jane. I will say that that scene genuinely makes me happy. Because it's a friendship yes. scene. Wickham. Oh. Matthew Good plays Wickham in Death Comes to Pemberley. And I'm a fan of that. Does. Uh, Matthew Good can do no Yes. Reason. I've... Even that Leap Year movie he made. Ugh. So I... I'd like for him to... I want him to yell at me about carrot size. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Um, I uh, will say that the Lizzie Bennet Diaries interpretation of George Wickham is like one of the most intense that I've seen. And I have to give props to that actor for playing it so well. And making me so uncomfortable all the time. Something that we glaze over so often is 15. Yeah. Like, Georgiana was 15. Lydia is 15, 16, maybe? Yes. By that point? Yes. It's really young. It's really and young. And it's really skeezy. This, he grew up with Darcy. He's supposed to be Darcy's age. So you're talking like... 12 years difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and Lizzie Bennet Diaries doesn't shy away from it. And I appreciated that about what they did, even though it was really hard to watch those episodes, especially because I had a friend going through an emotional abuse situation at the time or just coming out of one. And so like having to watch that on camera when I was like watching it happen in real life with my one of my closest friends was very hard. Um, so I will say that for, for Lizzie Bennett Diaries. But Matthew Good, because he's Matthew Good. How about like how about Georgiana? She doesn't get a lot of time. I don't care about her. Um, that's not fair. I don't know. She's just always a blonde elf. Like, is she ever not just a blonde little elf thing? Uh, not to sound like a broken record, but Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Yeah, it's true. But, eh. I don't know. I feel like that's all I mean, the more main... like Laura, Hey, Rory Gilmore played her in the Bright That's true. Rory Gilmore was... did play her in that. So we'll give her to Rory Gilmore. Okay, sounds good. Um... There was another big one that Charlotte, Charlotte Lucas. That one's got the 2005. Yeah. I liked that Charlotte. They did her speech, her, I'm not romantic. Yeah. They changed it a little bit, but they got the tone of it. Yeah. She's really the only one who pointed out I'm 27. And a burden to my family. Like. Yeah. Which is funny because that actress is a, like. Much older than 27. Yeah. But that's okay. She looks good. She looks good. But she she wins my Charlotte. She's a good Charlotte. The Charlotte from the 95 is good as mm-hmm. well. She's She does... What she does super well is that face. 
when Mr. Cullens makes like lovey eyes at yes. her. And she's just like, shut the fuck up. Yes. Go away. Yes. What are you doing? She has a what are you doing face. Love it. It's a good face. All right. Is there anything else about this book that you desperately want to leave our listeners with? Because I do want to be able to no. tell Chase that we were under two hours for this episode. No, I. Thanks for the indulgence of letting us talk about it. We love it. You can time. tell we love it. Um, the number of books that I have purchased, the number of. Uh, okay, here, here's the final question for you. Yes. What's the weirdest Jane Austen artifact? Not book, not story, not movie. Because I've got like. I've got a Jane Austen action figure. I have a Jane Austen finger puppet on my fridge. Um, somebody gave me, I've got two Jane Austen scarves with Pride and Prejudice. I got a Pride and Prejudice bath towel upstairs that somebody gave me. That's pretty cool. I. What's your weirdest artifact? Uh, I don't have a lot of artifacts, but I do have Pride and Prejudice and Zombies Lizzie Funko Pop. Oh, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I want you to know that I did uh, not purchase a Society of Headstrong Obstinate Girls Disappointing People since uh, whatever year Mm -hmm. t-shirt just just for this episode. I I didn't. You should have. It's in my cart on Amazon, but I haven't. I was going to use it as an excuse. All right, let's sign off. Let's sign off. Listen, we could talk about this book all day we could talk about austin all day we will talk about austin more in the future because she's got like four more novels we haven't even touched on ostentatious will be back we'll take over again we know you love it maybe one of these days they'll read one of these books maybe they will all right podcast is over who's out front should have told you this is shakespeare podcast ostentatious I'm Cassie. We Greenlee. should get Chase to do like a ostentatious sound bite. No, in there. we shouldn't do that. I'm Cassie. Greenlee. I want an ostentatious T-shirt. All right. Good night, everybody. I'm Beth Roars. We should get a T-shirt for ostentatious. Right? Why does that exist already? Chase, go get him. Make him do it. All right. Done and done. Say good night, John Boy. Done and done. Good night, John Boy. This has been a Ghostlight Media production.